Hey, 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 welcome to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Good to be with you again, Father Michael, my friend. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find us on social media and online? Outstanding. Thank you, Father Joseph. Great to see you. And uh, yes, you can find us, of course, on Anchor FM, which is our main hosting site, which shares out over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, and on social media, Facebook, On the Battlefield Podcast on Facebook, uh, and where we do share all of our material. And also on the off weeks, because this is a biweekly podcast, so on the non-podcast weeks, we also have our shorter uh, video offering OTB shorts on the battlefield shorts that you can check out over YouTube and rumble. And we do share that on the Facebook as well. So, uh, you can check those out. Those are, they're very different. Uh, if you haven't checked any of those out, please do. They're very different. Whereas this is you and I riffing on a topic, the OT and we go for, you know, a longer time. The OTB shorts by design are, uh, they're just sort of quick little individual vignettes, either myself or either you, just kind of bouncing around, having an informal talk on some of the ideas that we are uh, wrestling with in preparation for podcasts and preparation for priestly ministry as well. So it's a lot more informal. It's just kind of a lot more, uh, I think, in a way, down to earth and relatable. And uh, you'll enjoy it. And we've gotten a good response for those. So do check us out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so things that, that happen in our parishes, you know, um, things that trouble, trouble our parishioners, things that, that we see that trouble us, things happening in our communities. Uh, let's talk about that. Well, like what I was thinking, you know, what I was thinking, it's funny. So the way I'm going to tell you what I was thinking, because it sounds vague and amorphous, but it's not. So. I remember back when you and I were at the seminary, the, the glory days of the Holy Hill in Brookline, um, which, by the way, I've got to tell you, I, I, did you ever did you ever hit uh, in Ro in West Roxbury, this bakery called Sugar Bakery? Did you ever hit them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Saturday mornings, they had they had this this ham and cheese croissant and they would put like a little bit of sugar on that was it was like the best. I would, I happily make that dry over and bring back a bag from. Did you have those? Oh yeah, yeah. And you bought them because you would leave, <laughs> you'd get up early on a Saturday morning. You're like, hey, I'm going to sugar. You want anything? <laughs> well, dude. Well, that's because you'd get there. You, look, by by eight a.m., they were almost sold out. Like you had to get there. Like this went quick. This that was a it was a quick ticket item. So yeah, I I get nostalgic. So anyway, uh, back then I remember us worrying about like thinking you know because seminary is all games and theory. Like you're theorizing, what am I going to do when I get into a parish? You know, we're not you know and um, and. The boogeymen that all of us pinned our, our, our angst and discontent of here's what's gone wrong and we know the solution to fix everything in the world of Orthodox ministry. 
you know, we had so many boogeymen. It was like, it was like, I think a priest should dress this way and not that way in a parish. And there were two, there were two camps on campus for that. Right. Or, uh, we need more Greek or we need more English or we need a whole bunch. Everything needs to be all in English or no, we need a bunch of languages. You know, uh, I mean, like you know, there was all this stuff or no, we need more Bible studies or no, we need more cultural programs or no, we need more patristic studies, more prayer groups, more monasteries. We had all this stuff that everyone was saying, if we would just do this thing, you know, um, then uh, all would be well and orthodoxy would thrive in America. And it, everything that could be mentioned you know, by a seminarian is being done somewhere in the archdiocese. Someone's doing it, right? You know, whether it's, whether it's hyper-monastic or hyper-modern, someone's doing it. And we're all still struggling, right? Like all of our parishes are taking hit. Everyone's suffering decline. Uh, everyone is worried about how come our kids leave for college and don't come back, blah, blah, blah. Like all of the exter- uh, external solutions have been tried. And one of the things that um, we discussed this at a uh, talk uh, at, uh, at a church this past week, I was at a conference, I was asked to give a talk. And one of the main points that, we dis- that was discussed is the real culprit, the real thing, the real challenge everyone faces is the reality of our untransformed lives. Like we genuinely don't live transformed lives of repentance. I mean, flat out. I mean, you can, and we, we, we can put on great programs and pack houses and even give awesome sermons and, uh, you know, have great music. I mean, none of that stuff lacks, but without genuinely transformed lives, lives that are recognizably the gospel incarnate in the world, none of it works. None of it. I mean, that, that's the missing key. That's the missing point. Um, you know, for, for someone in recovery, for someone in recovery, uh, that's called the gift of desperation, right? Like either you lead a new way of life and genuinely transform your life at a deep level, or you will not stay sober and you'll die and lose your family and lose your career and everything. And it's, it, it's life or death. It's do or die. And I think we as, as a community have to come to that same gift of desperation and say, without that deep inner change, going back to Christ's first injunction to us, be repenting, present tense, continuous, all of you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rest of it falls flat without that. And, and, and those kids know you're just putting on a show. And that, that's, to me, that's the biggest problem. I'm looking at that and saying, that's, that's the root. That's the root of all the root causes um, behind it. And the rest of the stuff, it's not, that, it's not that we don't need great programs. We do. And it's not that we don't need great youth groups and Bible studies and sermons and music. All of that is useful and good and very good and necessary. But without the one thing essential, it doesn't work. That's yeah. the only thing that will make it work. I was at a at a at our national clergy retreat over the weekend or during this past week, and uh, Archdeacon John Chrysogonos was the keynote speaker, and he talked about 
one of the biggest problems that he sees in the church, which relates to what you just said, is vainglory. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Do you do ministry because you want the glory? You want to see the growth? Do you think you need to do all these things? Or do or are you actually reaching out to people that God received the glory from us? That's right. So, so, so what is the bottom line? It's, it's we're, we're vainglorious and we're, we're not living a life that is attuned to orthodoxy. It's this kind of therapeutic, moralistic deism, right? I mean, we, we want God to approve of us because of the things that we're doing and that makes us feel good. And that's well, not orthodoxy. No, the vainglory comes in. I, I like that. You know what? I, I like and I don't like that answer. Uh, I like it because I, it's, you're right. I don't like it because it's a word that doesn't get used anywhere else. And I think to say it like, it's, it's like, what is that? But we've all done it. I can tell you like my, uh, I've had churches that I loved. I've served in churches that I absolutely adored. And there was so much of my ego wrapped up in everything that either was happening or wasn't happening or everything that I wanted to get going or uh, in my own anxiousness to make sure that this idea of mine takes fruit and root and here's what I need and I'm marshalling you and you need to go here and you need to go there. And you cover it over with the veneer of like, well, it does need to happen and it'll help the community and it'll be good for orthodoxy. And all of those statements are true, but at the root of it's your ego and that poisons the whole thing because a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Um, you know, in the program, they say half measures availed us nothing. Well, we do half measures, you know, saying that, okay, my not addressing my own rampant ego and then just saying, we're going to plow ahead anyway, like my rampant ego isn't in there and not addressing it through repentance uh, is doing a half measure. It's saying we're doing orthodox ish. We're doing it ish. Like it's it's for the glory of God ish. Like, it's for the glory of God, but I'm going to sneak a little bit of mine in there, too. I don't even think we do that knowingly most of the time. Do you, do you think we don't know it, or do you think we don't I think kind we of, may know, but... but do, if, we think it, like do we if, think if, it's not as bad? I don't think if we thought through it, like, and said those things out loud quite so explicitly that we would do many of the things that we do. You know, would, would you, would you do Sunday school for three kids for 20 years because you thought it was for you to do, you know, I mean, how many churches have, uh, Sunday school teachers that do it because that's their ministry. This is how I reach out to people. How many of them think that way? Like in such an explicit way that that's a bad thing. You know what I mean? Because that's not a good thing to be teaching year after year because it's your gig. Well, and you can tell where that, I think where you can tell where that line is crossed. I think where you can tell where that line is crossed. Um, when you, you can tell where that line is crossed when you can identify what part of this is about you. Like, when does this become about you? Like, I want to tell you, hey, I, I heard you have X problem and I have experience with X problem. Let me help you. But you can usually tell at a certain point 
when you're off balance uh, that I've begun to overshare on my story or make this more about me or make this more about what I want to share with you rather than what you need to have shared with you. Like rather than about what, what ministry you need, here's what I want to give you versus what you need to receive. Is that making any sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I think, I think like when we can see that, I think that's where the line is like, at what point does this start being about you? And that's where you, where one needs to back off. I've been guilty of that. I think you've all heard me say this before, but it's like we get stuck in this kind of static reality. Like life doesn't change. Like the church would not be church without me teaching Sunday school. The church would not be church without Sunday school the way I've taught it for 20 years. Yeah, and if you want to see where and if you want to see where we've gotten off base on that, go to that person and try to change something. Try to say, hey, we need to institute this curriculum or I, I want to, I'd like you to stop doing it this way and do that thing. Or change? could you try this right? Right. Change. What's yeah, that? We're orthodox. Well, yeah, and the problem is the problem is there's a big difference. You know, like, let's not malappropriate things. There's a big difference between saying we've received the apostolic faith of the early church and we're not manhandling it and contorting it versus I've just been asked to learn a different musical melody for the choir. Like, those aren't the same ticket items. You know, that's not the same thing. But one is worth fighting about and the splitting other the church not. over and the other one is just kind of secondary. Well, that's funny. And, and I, I would, it's funny because I've seen people, I've seen people walk away from the whole community because their little piece, their, 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 their little fiefdom got touched. Um, but they, they, they would tout themselves as beacons of unchanging orthodoxy. I'm like, but you can step away from Christ, his church. Christ makes a one-to-one -one equivalency with himself and his church in Acts. When Saul is persecuting the church, Christ says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you harassing my people? He doesn't say, why are you killing my flock? He doesn't say, why are you coming against my community? Uh, or even my believers, my followers. No, me. He takes it personally. So I can't, how am I supposed So, So at what point, if I'm professing that same faith, then at what point can do I look at the co the community and say, "Hey, I'm walking away from the church." You're walking away from Christ. But and here's something to consider: when people are involved in the church, and and they're they're giving of themselves, whether in the music, the Sunday school program, the other various ministries, that's where they perceive they're actually living out their orthodoxy. And it's, not, and it's not in the kerigma. It's not, it's not in the teachings of the apostles. It's not for Christ. I am doing these things for you all. I am doing all these things for me. And I guess ultimately I'm doing them for Christ, but that's kind of tertiary. Yeah. It, well, again, look at it. What I want to give you, what I'm giving, what I'm giving versus how do you need to be served? Right. And that's why I walk away because you rejected me. Right. And yeah, right. So where, where Christ is, has the, where Christ has the wherewithal to make the one-to-one -one equivalency 
between himself and his bride, the church, we actually, there, there's actually nowhere in scripture where we are given the, um, the go ahead to do that. Like we don't actually have the justification to make the equivalency with our offering. I mean, even, you know, even the priest and the Eucharist, I mean, there's no, there, there's like, look at the language around the Eucharist. Like there's no, we, there's no, like we are the bread and wine that we have offered. Lord, we are offering you. Lord, we have come before you with our offering. There's none of that. Right before the epiclesis, thine own of thine own, we offer unto you. So we are offering it, but whose is it? It's yours. Thine own of thine own. It's yours. And not only that, we're not even, we, we can't even take credit for where it came from. It's from yours. The means that we got it was yours. And we're giving it back to you on behalf of all and for all of them, which is the very definition of liturgy, the benefactorship. I mean, you know, but there, there's none of that like, hey, we thought, we got together and thought this would be a really cool idea. And I got this great new wine for for the chalice. And, you know, we've tried a different brochure recipe that I think you're going to like, Jesus. None of that. It's like, no, this is yours. And it belongs to you on behalf of all and for all. Yeah, I mean, but we do it all the time. Yeah, you and I do. I mean, I'm not. I'm. By the way, I think before we go on, I think it bears saying to anyone listening: one, we are not picking on any particular ministries of the church. If we give examples, it's just like it's, and and we're not thinking about anybody in particular. It's just these are just placeholder things that we all know exist. Two, um, we're also guilty of this. I've definitely been this vainglorious. I've known Father Joseph long enough to know that he is too. I mean, it, we've both done this. We're, we're guilty of this. And recognizing it as part of our own repentance of saying, let's square this away, at least from my perspective. Hey, my pride knows no bounds, nor does my humility. <laughs> I mean, I'm vainglorious as they come. I, I am so proud of my pride. It's... <laughs> It's ridiculous. I get so wrapped up in it that it's like, get out of the way, man. Here comes my pride. I got an idea. Let's do it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we do, I think that humanity has always done it, but it's so easy for me to do now because I, I can be connected to you by a text or, or this medium, that medium, whatever, that becomes super super easy to to live in an imaginary world where i i serve christ i serve my neighbor i'm a benefactor of all uh through 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 my imagine the stupid imaginary world that i hold in the palm of my hand and i never actually go out and do the works of obedience that christ has commanded me to do and then I replace all of all of those other things that I should be doing, that I need to be doing, the needful things, prayer, alms, obedience, keeping the commandments. And I, and I package all of those into the hour that I spend at the chant stand or the 20 minutes that I spend preparing for Sunday school or, you know, the, the, the philopticals or you name it. You name the ministry. I don't care. But I, I wrap up all those other things into that and those become out of proportion, they become imbalanced, I suppose you could say. 
Yeah. And, and, and I'll, you know, I'll confess some, one of my own imbalances as a priest, like I've, I'm, I am, and, and I know we have some, you know, some, some listeners who, who actually know me, just like there's some listeners who actually know you. And, uh, for anyone who actually knows me, uh, they will not be surprised to hear, uh, to hear me say that, uh, it is not an exaggeration to say that I am at a bare minimum, mildly theatrical. Like, I'm a dramatic person in general, and um, and that's something that I've I've endeavored to uh, temper and and hone with maturity and age, but um, it lends to good public speaking, and so I've put a great deal of pride and vainglory into my sermons. I I, I the number one the number one uh, the number one item that I spend time on as a priest is homiletics and I'm good at it. I mean, I, 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 I do sermons people, you know, I get well-received. I put them online. Like I'm good at, it. and I've gotten better at it over time. And guess what? My own pride and my ego has at times been so wrapped up into it that it has caused me a lot of anxiety. And then, and then, which of course means you can't prep as well because you're anxious. And then I get proud that look at how many hours I'm spending because I now four of those hours were like, you know, just being anxious and irritable and not really practicing well, but, Oh, we're going to add that to the tally. And then it's a mark. And then it becomes a mark of pride that I spent this many hours. They weren't all well spent. Like a third of them were well spent, you know? And, um, I thank God that the grace of Christ is doing a lot to remove that. Like I don't spend nearly as much time preparing and the quality is better now. Um, but I can still see my ego in there a little bit. And I can see my vainglory in the fact that this is the little fiefdom that I carve out. And then I give myself a pass on if I was kind of a, you know, a, a short tempered jerk or I didn't have time for someone or I was irritable or, uh, you know, absent-minded and I forgot we had an appointment or like all that's okay because I'm going to get up on stage and give a great talk, you know, and that's sinful. That's sinful on my part. You know, that, that, that's sinful on my part that I I'm coming there and I'm allowing my missed Matt's priorities to make holy service be about me my show. And, and that's wrong. And that's something I've had to repent of. And that's something I've had to look at. And I'm being honest about it because I'm like, this is a fault. This is a character flaw to address. I mean, so that's me. So like, I said, so unless you think we're picking on anyone, there's, there's one of my own. And I, I can tell you like, it's that, that is something that I have to repent for. And I have to look. at. I mean, I can't even think of anything that I do wrong. Well, let me let me ask Presbyteria. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure she. I, she won't have to think. I meant in the church, Bray. Uh, so did I. I'm sure she can think of something. <laughs> Call your parish council president. I bet he's got a suggestion. He may. He may. But I can't think of one. And that's not my vain glory talking. Yeah, I mean, lead silence. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I thought you were going to contribute, but. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, so yeah. Uh, there was a song back that I remember that we, we used to sing it when I was in high school. 
it went something like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Every time I look in the mirror, I get better looking each day. Know me is to love me. Oh, Lord, I'm one heck of a guy. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I was thinking more along the lines of Weird Al Yankovic's uh, parody of Dangerous Minds, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise, remember? And then he had that in, and so Weird Al Yankovic did Amish Paradise, and he had that line in there, I'm a million times humbler than thou art, you know? Yeah, that, that's, that's, I don't know what it says about the two of us that I reached for Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, whatever, dude. That, there it speaks it is. volumes, actually. And it must, it must. It was the 80s. It was a simpler time. It was a simpler time, yeah. Simpler time. Um, you know, I, I, my heart goes out, really, that, that we've so moralized our faith that we that, that it's become such kind of a, a, a secular thing to us that mm-hmm. that that it's okay to to compartmentalize our orthodoxy that it, that it's like it's good enough just to have a, a, a cerebral understanding of the historical church to to have as you've said before just kind of a a trivia mindedness about the church and to invest ourselves in, in, in a couple of ministries here and there, expect that people are going to acknowledge that and that that's good enough. That that's troubling to me because I do that to a certain degree. I see people, I've seen people do that throughout my life, both in the Orthodox church and the Protestant churches I grew up in. It's not anything unique to us, but it's devastating to the church. Yeah, uh, you know, so it's, I think the internet doesn't help on this one because we can, you can, you can acquire all of the vocabulary and trappings of orthodoxy very easily without putting in the actual blood, sweat, and tears of repentance to have a genuinely orthodox life, to genuinely have a transformed existence. Um, You know, like, that great prayer rule that you got's really awesome. But if the way you're treating your wife and kids and the way you're relating in your business dealings and you know, how often and if, if none of that has changed, then you're, you're, you're missing something. And if you're not able to engage with the world around you without being smug or cynical or resentful, uh, you know, even if you put a smile on your face, like if you're not addressing that stuff, then it really doesn't matter like what trappings you're putting on it. It's not orthodox. Orthodoxy is found in the tra- in the life transformed by the apostolic faith, in the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in the church that lives itself out. And yes, in this particular way, but what makes it the church isn't the long hair and the beard. It's the transformed life of orthodox repentance and the way that we go about understanding and living it. Um, so, I mean, you can look the part and your community can look the part, but if lives aren't being transformed and, and the problem is like, you, there's no, how do you measure that? Like, you know, that you can't measure that. That's not something you can really assess because we don't have access to the deep inner inner heart of each other much and and very you know a lot of people can barely access their own deep inner life much less everyone else's you don't know 
but you can measure how many kids showed up to the youth event or how many people came to the talk or how many people are in the choir or how many hours you spent practicing. You can measure all that stuff and it's easier. It's easier to run a community on what you can measure, but it quickly can go from being a genuine Orthodox church to a community center. Um, if the repentance isn't there and it doesn't matter. I mean, like, you, you know, it, sure. You could have three services a day, but if you're not allowing the gospel to permeate your life and transform the way you relate to others and you're, you're leaving that and you're still a, a you're still a, an ungrateful, complaining, judgmental, resentful individual then you're missing something. And and it's not the service's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's like your life of repentance needs to be looked at. And, and, you know, if that's you or me, then, you know, okay, you go before your spiritual father and you do something about it. You, you start to take the, the net. Life will give you plenty of opportunities to, you know, to practice not being a jerk when you really feel like being a jerk. Life will give you those opportunities. So, you know, now in repentance, start like take using them well. I mean, but yeah, so it's, it's not, it's not that the problem is not the faith. The problem is us doing it ish. Half measures availed us nothing. Well, I mean, everything that we do in, in American life is based on metrics and tangibles. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, baseball, there, there baseball is a very complicated sport. I don't think people, a lot of people understand that, but it's an incredibly complicated sport. And they always kept stats, but now, like in the modern age of computers and AI, the statistics that they have on each individual player and how they perform in specific situations and how much the managers depend on those statistical metrics is unbelievable. And it's filtered into all of sport. It's in business. I mean, it's everywhere. We are a metric, tangibles-driven society. If it can't be mapped and measured scientifically with a computer, it's not worth doing. So it's like this whole idea of having an intangible spiritual life, an intangible spirituality that I'm responsible for in the context of this community, for myself, for you, unto, as an offering unto Christ for his sacrificial offering. Just kind of mind-numbing. I mean, how do we even approach that? It's so far outside of how we as a society, as individuals, even approach life. How do, how do we as priests, how do we as church even begin to address that? Go be silent. Oh, I'll go be silent. I'll look at Facebook while I'm doing it on my on my phone, or I'll look at Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever the kids are looking at these days. You know? I mean, you want to do church-ish? Do it with metrics. But how do you live without metrics in our life? That's a genuine question. Well, I mean... I mean, I don't know that you can entirely live without them, right? I mean, you know, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And Jesus says that you can't serve both God and mammon. However, you know, we, we 
however, he didn't, you know, there was a, the apostles did carry around a money bag to pay for things. And we do have bills to pay and we're told to be responsible for our, uh, and one, and for our, our responsibilities and the, the, the apostles, you know, they, they took collections and acts. It mentions people bringing their goods to the apostles. I mean, so it's like, is money going to be involved? Sure. Uh, but it's needing to put that check on what priority does it get? So how about that with metrics? Are metrics going to be involved? Yeah, they're going to be involved. I mean, it does matter. Like, you know, if you've got four Sunday school classes of two kids each, versus one with 10 kids, one with five kids, one with two, and the other with four. I mean, the metrics matter insofar as they point you towards what can best be done next, right? Like you might say, okay, well, we need to combine these two classes. Or you might say, yeah, but given the people involved, let's leave it the way it is. Or you might have so many kids, you need more classes, you know, an A and B or whatever. I mean, the metrics can be a useful tool. I just think we overvalue stuff like that. That's the problem. It's not, it's not that it has no value, but we overvalue it. So, you know, the practice time that goes into a great sermon matters. Uh, and giving a great sermon matters. Don't, you know, don't mistake my earlier example. I still think homiletics is one of the most important things priests can do. One of, right? And it still is, and it still is the major time crunch for my week of ministry. But I am endeavoring to do it in such a way that I'm keeping my ego in check and I'm being aware of my own need for repentance. So it's not that the metrics have no value. They have value. It's just that we can't overvalue them, can't oversell it and act like that's okay. So, um, you know, you don't need to throw the baby out with the baby water and say, there's no need for metrics. There's metrics, but it's the value you give to it. Thank you, Father Philip. That was a shout out. Uh, if you're listening, Father Philip Zamaris, everybody used to say, don't throw the baby out with the baby water. Are you scandalized? Bless him. I am so scandalized. I think we're going to need to stop recording right now. After that, after that awkward pause. So anyway, um, I, I do. I, I get caught up by metrics. I mean, it, it's so important to so many people that and that's one thing I do fall victim to. But I, I'm really trying not to because it's like what really matters is in, for me anymore at this point in my life, it's like doing a hundred different ministries to reach out to a hundred different groups that get one percent of my attention each not worth my time totally not worth my time and it's it's a really awful investment of my time if i can't give 100 percent to whatever i'm doing i have to give not 100 percent, but my very very best we need to we need to invest in quality ministry that that speaks to the people that i have at hand i mean like here in Cheyenne, doing a huge, um, I don't know, like something that would work in New York City and that's super useful in New York City may not work here. It might, but it might. Father yeah. Michael just fell and hit his head. Um, are you okay? No, I'm trying to reposition. I'm trying to reposition the tablet and it tipped over. Oh, 
I thought you smashed off the ceiling. It looked like there was a violent earthquake. I'm not in California, dude. That's right. You're in Tennessee. There are sure they have earthquakes there too. Sure. No, they don't have the they don't they don't have earthquakes, but they do have substantially more freedom. Oi. Oi. Ta-da. <laughs> I feel like Rocky <laughs> Bowling Pill. Not for something we hope you really like. <laughs> As Rocky used to say. Um, dragging out all the nineteen seventies and eighties stuff for you today, everybody, oh, just to no. prove how old and out of touch we are. Yeah, but in my case, it's purposefully so. My goal, sorry, I, I, I have a goal. Like, here's the thing. So you know how, like, when we go to retreats, like, they talk about uh, priest pension plans and stuff, and they all tell us, remember, you're going to need to retire one day. I actually do have a retirement goal. Uh, do you remember on The Muppet Show, Waldorf and Stratton, the two old guys who would sit up there and heckle the, the Muppets? So, yeah, hecklers, yes. I want to be them. That... They are my life goals. I want to be the hecklers from the Muppets. That's look at the pig. <laughs> that like that's yeah. So um, we all yeah. When I grow up, Waldorf okay. is that who you're aspiring to be? I don't. I haven't decided which one I like better, but the one that sat on the right, whatever his name was, was my favorite. I also don't know which one is which. The one on the left was far more cynical, though. But I, I, I used to think that the guy that sat on the right was funnier. I, you know, that, that, that's true. If you're looking at them, one of them was pretty short and the other one was pretty tall. So, I mean, we're already on track. <laughs> we're already on track. We just, need, we just need some Muppets to yell at. That's... Yeah, we need a box seat. That's going to be the at, at some At some theater... Where we can tackle people. Freely those are, those are expensive. Openly. That's that's going to be difficult. And that's why your retirement plan is so important. <laughs> uh, there See, you go. Everybody, quality ministry. Quality. Quality. But seriously, in all seriousness, I, I've really gotten to the point where it's like the ministries that we do in the church can change. It's okay if for three years you do a sandwich ministry for the street people downtown and then another church kind of steps up and fills that gap and that need isn't there anymore and you kind of transition to uh, giving coats away or you have a really highly developed prayer ministry or whatever. It's completely legitimate in my mind to have ministries that kind of come and go and cycle through based on the people that you have in your parish based on the needs of your community and, and kind of based on the spiritual momentum that, that Christ gives to us at, at different times and to do those handful of things at a high level, quality rather than quantity. And I think one of the things that, I think one of the driving forces that really feeds into the dysfunction that you're getting at because you know, doing, doing quantity over quality is very dysfunctional and we do it. And, and you know, what's, you know, you know, what's funny is it's so easy to sell. Like you could sell that to any general assembly. We're going to open 20 new ministries. Like you could sell it. It's so easy to sell uh, because it looked, the metric looks great on paper. Um, but 
But one of the things that's so unhelpful, and this is something that Steve Christopher actually talks about a little bit, is parcel is overemphasizing the individual demographic as much as we do. So it's like, oh, we're doing we're doing the youth ministry so that the young people have something to show up for. That's a very dangerous statement. Why? Because they're showing up for youth ministry. So when they're not youth, what do they have to show up for? Or I'd show up for church, but there's nothing for me. What do you mean there's nothing for you? Jesus is in the chalice, man. That's there for everybody. That's what it's there for. That's what we're here for. So uh, the youth don't have anything to show up for. Oh, yes, they do. It's called the Eucharist. It's called worship. It's called the divine liturgy. I say that to people. Like, yes, they do. That's what you're to show up for. The, uh, the other nice things that we put up around it, like a great Goya program. I, I love Goya. Awesome. Let's have a great Goya. Let's. But let's have the, uh, let's have the focus in the right place so that they're not coming to church for Goya. You know, it's not be, you're not here because you're a Goyan. You're here because you are an Orthodox Christian. Jesus is there in the chalice. You're here for him. And in the course of that, we've also got some great stuff that you can participate in. It's not that having those things is bad, but we, we over parcel it out. Oh, hey, uh, I, I listen, I know just what will pack. I know just what the, I know that you're not interested in the Jesus. You're not interested in the faith. Uh, but don't worry, we've opened up a new singles ministry for people between the ages of 34 and 39. So if you're a 36-year-old single, come. For what? We're not a dating service. We're not a, th- we're not a social program service. We're, we're the body of Christ. We're the Orthodox Church. Come, because this is where Christ is in the Eucharist and the fullness of the apostolic faith is. Um not because your particular ever-changing demographic has appeared on the ministry sheet for that month. That's, that over-parceling out, it, it's, it's such a North American th- thing. That's a very North American thing. And it's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. Because it sends the message like, oh, there, the, the church isn't why we go to church. Christ isn't why we go to church. We go for the thing that's in our little box. No, sorry, that that's not the way that Christ works. And, I mean, he and created us to, he created us to glorify Him. So if, if 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 I show up at church and to participate in Him, so if I show up in church and say there is nothing here for me, all I'm saying is that my intended purpose, the very reason that He created me, isn't here in Jesus right. Christ Himself. I mean that's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, or. That's not what I care about. One other thing that I see that, that I do, that I have done uh, throughout my ministry, is, is lose focus on, on the actual composition, the actual like bigger demographic of the church, rather than those kind of micro-parceling out of the demographics. It's like parents want to see ministry for kids. So that makes them happy, right? But, if you, but how you do ministry for kids matters. Not that you're just doing yes. it to do it, right? It, it matters how you're doing it and why you're doing it. Uh, and then what also matters is as a priest, I need to be involved with the people in the church within this parish 
at such a level that, that they're thinking about what it is that God created them to do and what he has laid before the parish to do, for the parish, for the community. Like having that, that mindedness towards discipleship, in other words, the, the creating of disciples that, that are actively working out their salvation in their home, in their parish, and in their secular life. That, that they're not compartmentalizing it and that they're, that they're growing in their understanding of who they are in Christ and living that out and sharing it in a, in a, in a real, genuine way. That, and that's super hard because it takes a lot of time. It, it's super dynamic and it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And the, the way it, not just the way that we do it, but like, so parents will often feel like it makes them feel good to see these stuff up for the kids. And, and, and I mean, and, and there's something about that that's, that's not totally off base. Like, you know, as parent myself, like if I see you've got something worthwhile going like that. So I was, uh, I, the, the, uh, the conference that I gave a retreat at, um, th- the conference that I gave a talk at this past weekend, they had because a lot of a lot of priests brought their families, and it was it was both you know and and later the people brought their families, so there were uh, there were offerings for there were things for the kids to be involved with, and they were good and they were they were good quality, so um, you know as a parent, like that's that is that's objectively a good thing for me to applaud to say, okay, it's good that you realize there's kids here and let's, let's do something worthwhile with their time. I mean, that's a general, that's a laudable sentiment. I think the, but I think the problem is, but then the trap to avoid is not feeling happy because my kids had a good time primarily instead to feel pleased because my kids were pointed towards Christ, like that, that, the, that, the, that the main focus of why we are here as Orthodox Christians is Christ and to receive and experience Christ. And they also had a wonderful time and built relationships uh, as well. And, but you can, you can get applauded for youth programs that do nothing but socialize them. And, and, that's, and th- that's youthless. Uh, that's not youth ministry. You want to do ministry with younger people, and there are commendable and laudable ways to do it. Uh, it needs to be mission focused on. We are trying to build solid Christians here, and in the course of doing so, it's good. For, it is good for them to have an enjoyable experience and make good, healthy relationships. That's a good thing. Uh, it's just again, it's just first things first. What is it that we're trying to do? And um, it, it's being again. I think we, we've lost sight of that mission. And I think the way we lost sight of that mission is a lot of the people, you know, and, and this is no dig on anyone. I just think there was a day and age where people took it for granted that that would be accomplished. And we thought like, okay, we're in the church building. They've heard the priest. They've heard that this, it's going to get, it's, it, the Jesus will come together. And what we've learned the hard way as a society is you can't take that for granted. And if you want the priest involved in the ministries, you also can't fracture them out a thousand different directions because he can only go to one at a time. 
So if you want him involved, you really can't have a million things going on. Or else he has to say no to some things. You know, the other thing is, is and Sunday School is a great example of this, but I don't think it, that it's exhaustive either. That we, we, we kind of throw all, all of our eggs in one basket. It's kind of a lazy tendency. And Sunday School is such a great example of that because I remember uh, out east, I haven't seen it as much out west, but out east, people would come to church, drop off their kids for Sunday School. They would go have yeah. coffee. They'd go to the grocery store. They would treat it like a babysitting service. And then they'd come back for the kids. I saw that down in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's nuts. And I used to tell these parents when I would see them, it's like, listen, you're putting your child's entire faith life and all of their Christian education into this basket that is merely half of a Flintstone vitamin. I mean, we get them for 20 good minutes a week. And there's what, 148 hours or something like that in a week? Whatever, whatever I'm, trying to, I'm trying to reference that one terrible song from Rent to figure out how many hours and minutes are in a life. I think it's life. 148 hours. But anyway, you, the, the child is alive for 148 hours a week. And I have access and access to them for 20 minutes. And that's all they get. That's a recipe for disaster. That is a failing yeah. non... It's nothing. It's zero. We may as well just call it zero, but all of our eggs are in that basket. Yeah. We do that with other 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 things in the church too. We do, and we we, we expect yeah. And and the thing I've hammered home, I I and I've I've endeavored to hammer home to every parent I've I've worked with the priest that you are the primary catechist. If this is not being taught at home, if this is not being lived at home, what I'm doing and saying here will not resonate and it will not stick. Um, and uh, you know, I, being rigorously honest, I don't think I've, uh, I don't think I've been very successful in, in convincing people. I mean, I'm not the only priest saying it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I say it, you can get heads to nod. You can frame it in such a way that people intellectually grasp what you've conveyed. Um, and it doesn't lead to very much change in behavior. Uh, well, I, something that I've encountered that's really quite frightening is yes, I can assent to that mentally. Rationally, I understand what you're saying to me. But Father Michael, I am of a generation that went to Sunday school and got 20 minutes a week and nothing else other than yayaisms. And now you're telling me I have to be the primary catechist day in and day out. Mm. I have to be the spiritual leader. I don't know how to do that myself because nobody ever showed me how. So really what we're up against with Sunday school is adult catechism yeah. because our adults were never catechized. And now we expect them to be catechizing their children. It ain't you know going to happen, bro. Yeah. And you know what I've started doing? Because uh, the parish I'm serving at, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm two Sundays a month. I, I'm in, in Middletown, Ohio. Uh, at, at a beautiful small parish. And, and the other two Sundays a month I'm at, my friend's very large church up the road here in Franklin, Tennessee. And um, one of the things I've started doing in Middletown, uh, I, I've done this a couple Sundays in a row. I'm not going to do it every Sunday. Uh, I want to make it occasional so that it doesn't 
you know, so it shows that it stays a, a good thing. But one of the things I've started doing is just before on Tideron, uh, opening up for a little Q&A. I mean, you know, we're a small parish, which means the communion line is not long, you know, which means we're, we're done a little on the earlier side, even with doing everything. I don't, I don't skip anything. Even with doing everything, it's, we're done on the earlier side because, I mean, it's a smaller crowd and that's the way that works. So, you know, it take a few minutes for Q&A and, 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 and I'll usually take like two questions because you can keep that in, in, a, in a short time frame. But, you know, giving people a form to where like, okay, hey, let's, let's ask. And I've tried that at talks and Bible studies and it, it rarely takes off, but I'm getting there. There's getting to be some good discussions. And then people, I've had a few people grab me afterwards. And, you know, so it's like getting them to start to take some ownership for investigating the faith they believe they're too familiar with, Um, you know. It's it's good, but it's again ultimately what it boils down to is being a disciple is the decision. Mathites, a learner, that being a disciple is a decision to take ownership over knowing, appropriating, practicing, and handing on our faith, and that is a decision that no one can make for you. So you're going to be presented with the gospel. Whether or not you respond with discipleship is on you. Which we means I can't. We have to be responsible, like the gospel said. We have to be responsible for what kind of soil the gospel is landing on. Yeah. The only track, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, uh, you know, like the, 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 the overgrown soil in that story is the tragic one, you know, because it's like, it was, it's clearly fertile enough to grow things. It's overgrown with weeds and thorns. And so clearly stuff can grow there. It's just been untended to. Um, and, and, but we, the real first step is not looking and saying, oh, um, no one ever fed me. No one taught me. Okay. Well, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? What are you listening to? What are you reading? How are you praying? You know, what are you preparing? How are you preparing yourself to, have the end of that story be different. Um, you know, you were given whatever you were given. What are you doing right now? That's that's the that's the thing. That's the real uh, linchpin. So that, I mean, that's discipleship. That response in uh, to respond to the victory of the gospel with discipleship is our task. And as a priest, I have zero control over how you're going to respond. I think that's the hardest thing to let go of in priesthood. The hardest thing, the hardest blow to your ego um, that you can plan up the ideal ministry and put the right people in place and, um, you know, and give great sermons and put on good talks. You can do all the right things and you have zero control over how people respond to it. And it's very hard not to look at that and say, I failed. Well, no, you were faithful to Christ. Your task as a priest is to be faithful to your covenant with Jesus Christ who ordained you through the Holy Spirit and laying on the hands of his rightly appointed bishop. Were you faithful to that parakatathiki, that deposit entrusted to your hands? If you were faithful to it, then regardless of the response you got, you did not fail. It just wasn't responded to the way you liked. 
And if we want to talk about things not getting responded to the way you'd like, the apostles all got killed except for John, who was put in exile. They tried to kill him. They were unsuccessful, and they exiled him. So clearly, like, you know, I mean, like, they weren't packing they weren't packing the Roman Colosseum to see the apostles next act. Like the apostles didn't have a sold out show. Um, it was, we've got to be faithful to this covenant and we're going to die. Well, I mean, that's what you signed up for. And, and, and it's just helpful to, I'm preaching to myself. It's helpful to remind myself of that. Um, and I think it's, it's hard to be vainglorious when you realize that. If you've really taken it to heart, and I'm endeavoring to take it to heart. I think we should all endeavor to take it to heart. Um, and as and lay people should take it to heart too. You're being Everybody faith- needs to take it to heart. Yeah. Be faithful to how you're living the covenant with the Most High. You have no control over how anyone reacts to it. Not even your own kids, sadly. That, that, as we near the end of this podcast, I think would be a fantastic, fantastic upcoming podcast topic, faith and faithfulness. All right. Cool. Because, just a teaser, because faith implies suffering. I mean, the apostles were faithful to their calling and they suffered for it. Father Michael has been faithful to, to, to whatever Christ has laid before him, and he suffered for it. I've suffered for it. Everybody who's ever served Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ, not vaingloriously, but for the actual glory of Jesus Christ, has suffered in some way. And uh, it ain't easy. To, it's not easy to do, my friends. It's not easy to suffer in life for Christ, but it's our call. It's what he's drawn us to so with that thank you well, all. i mean yeah well i'll give you one more quote the the sirach in the old testament i think it's sirach too if i'm remembering correctly it says my son if you will approach to if you if you will approach to serve the lord if you, uh, my son if you will approach to serve the lord prepare yourself for trials bada bing upcoming topic and so uh Stay tuned right. for that one. There you go. Father Michael, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks always uh, a pleasure. For, the, for your input today and for being with me. Uh, everyone, thank you for uh, checking us out here on Anchor.fm on the battlefield or Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, wherever you found us. Thank you. Thanks for taking that time. To those of you who have found us on YouTube at Rumble for the On the Battlefield shorts, again, thank you. Please uh, share these, like them, tell other people about them, and uh, whatever blessing you get from this, please pray for us and uh, pass the blessing on to other people. Uh, And be strong, each and every one of you out there on the battlefield. Okay, God bless you. May the Holy Trinity bless and protect you always. Keep fighting the good fight. See you next time.